Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to the Virgin Disruptors podcast with me, Holly Ransom. This is a series of talks designed to inspire, provoke and activate change in the world of business and beyond. I've had leaders go through and tell me, I don't know what it is you want from me, I treat everyone the same. I would propose though, that what is fair is not always equal. What is best for the community is not what's best for me individually. Focusing in on the pillars of purpose, performance, people and planet, We've been exploring ways to break convention and disrupt our practices, in life and in work, for the better. In this episode, we'll be talking about diversity and inclusion, with Google's head of just that, a guy by the name of Chuck Stevens. A huge challenge across workforces is eliminating unconscious bias and creating workforces that are reflective of a diverse and inclusive environment. Chuck is playing a critical role in developing and rolling out this strategy for Google, as it seeks to reflect internally the audience that it caters for externally within the market. Diversity is such an important topic. There's report after report about the fact that a more diverse leadership team and workforce produces greater bottom line results and leads to greater levels of customer satisfaction. But achieving that in practice is easier said than done, which is why Chuck's work is such a great thing for us to be able to unpack and understand. So now, let's join Chuck on stage live at Virgin Disruptors. Okay, first of all, let me set the stage. I lead diversity and inclusion in MIA, not Google globally. My boss would probably get a little tense over that last one. I want us to have a conversation about leadership, though. We've talked this morning about the amazing things that each of you are trying to achieve in your own world. But we've got to think about what our world is. One of my favorite academics, a guy named Richard Florida, came up with a conversation about 10 years ago about what was called the rise of the creative class. And it was really this transition that was occurring from us going from an industrial society to a creative revolution that was truly about innovation and the disruption that we're talking about. But the labor model we needed under that industrial model and what we need around our creative model is very different. How are you going to be able to be creative and be innovative in what you do if I tell you you've got to be here on time and you're going to do it because I tell you to do it. So we need to think about a different dialogue we have with our people. For those of you that have something to write with, I want to do a simple exercise. I'd like you to write your name. If you don't have a pen or pencil with you, use your vintage stylus and and tablet and just kind of jot it out. 
Now, when I do this, it feels very natural. It's something we've potentially done thousands, if not millions of times. It's an identifier for who we are. But I want you to switch hands now. And so use your non-dominant hand to write your name. I don't know about you, but when I do that, I almost get physically ill. <laughs> you know, I am somewhat of a type A personality. I like to achieve. And it doesn't look how I'm expecting it to look. Does anybody else feel that kind of angst appear when you try and do this? Okay. Unfortunately, that angst is a wonderful metaphor for the experience of people you work with and their reality in being in your leadership team or being on your teams or being within your organization. Because the rules and the norms we do to en enable them aren't necessarily aligned with how they're used to operating. Let me translate this a bit and give you some examples from my time in business. There was one of the consulting firms I worked for that was critical that you ask for help. Now, let's appreciate, there's a difference in asking for help because I'm drowning, and I've got a good idea and I need some people to rally around me. It was very much the latter that we, we looked at. And so, you could go through and do something brilliant, but if you did it in a vacuum, you were going to fail long term. We learned that African Americans in the US are largely socialized that asking for help is a sign of weakness. What's the chance that those individuals are going to be successful in, their, in our firm if the cultural norm says that don't ask for help and the organization is expecting you to ask for help? Pretty much close to zero. What are the unwritten rules that exist in your management style that drive how you operate your teams? I personally have a high degree of transparency. I like in motivating, encouraging people. But if I don't know some of the cultural nuances that exist from, from each of us, be it women or men, how can I be successful with my team? I would also encourage you to think about a study we did in Google. We discovered, and there's been some of this in the media as well, and people talking about different research problems, that men, if they could match three bullet points in a job rack for any end count, it could be a thousand bullet points around what it is that we're needed for that role. Guys, if we could match three, we'd go for it. Women tended to look for a match of 80 to 90%. So we're in the process of removing bullet points from our job descriptions in order to talk about the traits we needed to see in leadership. So we have a problem today. I was at McKinsey recently, and they shared that 80% of people don't care about the principles and priorities you have within your organization. Less than a third of your workforce is actively engaged in helping you be successful. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of scares the shit out of me as a leader. You know, how can I be successful regardless of whether I'm in a 40,000-person organization or a 20-person organization if I can't create that type of connectivity? Now, we've been hearing a lot, especially from the U.S. Um, political environment, about being politically correct, and there's this tendency where we go through and try to sterilize and remove that human connection from the interactions we have about people. What are kind of the, the sacred rules of dinner parties? In the U.S., it's don't talk about politics or religion. Here, it seems to be talk, we don't talk about where we live, where we went to school. You know, there's all of those things that denote class. I would suggest that we actually need to invest in having those hard conversations in a very different way than we have as of late. I've had leaders go through and tell me, I don't know what it is you want from me, I treat everyone the same. I would propose, though, that what is fair is not always equal. I love the analogy about voting with your conscience for infrastructure, but what is best 
for the community is not what's best for me individually. How do we balance that and equate that? Well, one of the tools we're using, in addition to unconscious bias training and the things we do to try and remove bias from the system, is coming up with something we call an inclusion narrative. Because how can I know where I'm going if I don't know where I've been? And so the idea of this inclusion narrative is to go through and think about the advantages, the challenges, and the realities you grew up with in order to be able to figure out better how you can relate to the people on your team. Because chances are, those realities are going to be vastly different. So I'm going to walk you through my inclusion narrative a little bit. So I was born in Jackson, Mississippi in 1966. Now, I don't know if folks know about Jackson, Mississippi. It's where the star is down here. And it's a, it's, it's a state capital for Mississippi. But in 1966, it was the epicenter of the civil rights movement. And if you've seen the movie The Help, it is a very much a sterilized reality of what growing up in the civil rights movement was like and the injustice that was out there. Have people seen the movie? Okay. So you have a sense in a very clean way of what it was like. What did it mean personally to me? My grandmother disciplined me once because I said yes ma'am to a black woman and I was told in no uncertain terms there is no such thing as a black lady or gentleman. Okay. Influences are growing up. I saw that happening. Okay. I remember hearing a stat early on that black children in the U.S. are five times more likely to die of drowning because their parents were not allowed access to swimming pools and never learned to swim. Now, who doesn't like to go swimming? Now, in school, I was going to school with children that were very different from me, and they were just my friends. And so there was very much at odds between the realities of what I heard from society in some cases and my reality. Now, the help. My family was poor. We were closer to being the help than to hiring help. You know, my generation was the very first to go through and go to university. And I am one of the few men of my family and one of the youngest ones. So I grew up seeing these amazing women that had educated themselves and were achieving great results in business and the challenges they faced in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and frankly, today. All of this shapes who I am and the foundation that I came from in my reality. But I like to say a fish doesn't know it's in water because we very quickly go through and realize that the water is, the rea is our reality and we assume that's true for everyone else. I fast forward a bit and I was coming to terms with being gay and was working for an organization that was a family owned business, sadly not my family. And I realized that if I had come out at work, I wouldn't have been fired, but it is highly likely that my career would have stopped. I ended up leaving, going to a consulting firm that was great on LGBT issues, but I still censored myself until I could find out what the realities were in that organization. And I actually had partners at the time that told me, don't come out to clients. It's okay that you're, you're out at work, but don't tell clients because that might be challenging. And that followed that advice until one day on a client engagement, the person that was going to be my counterpart for the next few years on this huge global engagement starts going through and asking me questions. So are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? Why not? And then all of a sudden he asked the question, are you gay? Now, I will go through and cover to a degree, but if you ask me point blank, you damn well better be ready for the answer because I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> and I said yes. Imagine my surprise when he grabbed me by the hand and pulled me across this banquet hall to introduce me to two women that were his best friends and he'd been the best man in their wedding. 
I went from not knowing anyone in this team to having dinner dates set up and being tightly intertwined with that team in the course of a microsecond. The same partner that told me not to come out at work said, what the hell happened? I've never seen this happen before. And I said, I told her. She goes, forget everything I ever told you before. Do what you need to do. I am also aware that as a 6'3", 250-pound, middle-aged, overweight white guy living in London, okay, I feel safe. I honestly can't think back to a time when I didn't feel safe. And no matter where I'm in the world, even when I'm a minority, I tend to get weighted on faster, I tended to be treated with respect, and the idea of a sexual assault, honestly, for it happening against me, feels comical. How many of you in the room have that reality? I didn't appreciate the privilege that I had just because of who and where I was born. And my story, my diversity narrative, has amazingly brilliant points and some regrettable points. My grandmother to discipline me was not a bad person, but she was wrong. And we each need to get ingrained with our stories in order to know how we can relate to other people. And we need to be a little vulnerable and share that information. But it makes you ask the questions. What's my reality? What do I know? What do I think I know, but I probably don't? And what do I don't know at all? And what's the reality of my people on my teams and the people I'm working with? Now, at Google, and there's some amazing things we do, and frankly, there's some things we're not good at at all. When I look at this picture, there's a lot of faces that look like me. We need to do better. We've made some huge progress around gender, but I would be willing to bet that you've seen this language from 1,001 different organizations in the past. I'm happy to share with you what it is we do, and I'll talk about what it is we're doing outside in the marketplace and what we're doing in Google with things like trying to remove bias from the organization and how we set people up for success. I am by no means suggesting that we have all of the answers or that we're getting it right. What I am suggesting is even with this corporate strategy and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in investment in the community, we will fail if you and I don't work on the relationships we have with each other. And any sort of um, tone at the top we have, even from Sir Richard and the wonderful work he does, if we can't make a difference in that way, our organizations are doomed to fail. So I would encourage you to go through and create your diversity narrative. Realize the benefits you've had and have, and appreciate that that is very different than those sitting around with you. Have the conversations about the elephant in the room and what it feels like to be someone else. One of my proudest moments in my professional career occurred a few years ago, and it had absolutely nothing to do with business. I was kicking off a new hire class for some recent college hires and went through and I shared that I was a gay executive and the challenges that it came with that and the benefits that came with it. About a year later, a young man's interviewing for a job with me, and at the end of the interview, he told me, I came out at work because of what you said at that introduction and orientation. To this day, that is one of my proudest moments. And the ability for each of us to go through and be role models for the people that are around us to help them be successful. Now, there are things we as an organization do around people processes. And so I would encourage you, especially if you're starting out, to check out Rework. Rework is an online forum where we post the things that have gone through and made a difference in Google. So if you want to learn more about unbiasing, 
You can go online and look up and download and use our video we use for unbiased training and there are workbooks to help you deliver it in your organization. If you want to learn about the work we've done to remove the gender pay gap for like-for-like -like work, the process we did is there. The process we used to come up with the audits there. We highlight organizations that we believe are making a difference in this collective sphere. But the new form of leadership we need is about organizations and individuals coming together to act in unison to be the change we want to see. Because somewhere in this room, or somewhere in your family, there's a poor little kid that knows he's gay, or a young lady that's been told that she can't, or a black person that's been told that they can't, or an immigrant that can't, and what's going to be the amazing part if you go through and help them become who they can? I would like to propose to you that this is exactly why we need a new form of leadership. Thank you. Huge thanks to Chuck Stevens, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Google. If you've been inspired and motivated by what Chuck said, I encourage you to think about how this could apply to your own reality, the teams you're leading and the organisations you're working for. And again, encourage you to check out Chuck and Google's work. Like Atlassian in our previous podcast, they're fantastic about how they open up their resources and make them publicly available so other groups and individuals can be able to take what they're doing and make it work for them. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Chuck's talk and on all the others we've had as part of the Virgin Disruptors series. So tweet us using the hashtag Virgin Disruptors and let us know what you think. Well, that's nearly it for this episode. But next time here on the Virgin Disruptors podcast, we have a fantastic session coming up with Dr. Andy Walsh, the head of high performance at Red Bull. Andy's an expert in hacking creative potential and is the coach for many of Red Bull's elite athletes. He's helped them push boundaries and break records including Felix Baumgartner's incredible free-fall jump from space to earth. As a taster, we have some words coming up from him at the end of this show. But for now, from me, Holly Ransom, thanks for listening. See you next time. For me, a disruptor is someone who has the courage to sort of put themselves out there. You know, they come up with this idea or this innovation and not only do they follow through on with themselves, but they sort of back themselves in the sort of expression of that idea and take on that challenge. So for me, that's anyone who does that is, is really a disruptor. I think a big part of disruption is gonna be taking on that idea or pushing that idea through. So if you're gonna do anything extraordinary and push the edge of any field, you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna come up against something that the challenge sort of overwhelms you, you may fail. And for us, giving you the tools to train in that space by exposing you to those sort of emotions outside of your general field realm or area of mastery, giving you a chance to explore it in that space where it's relatively safe and then bringing those skills back is sort of the essence of how we prepare people, kind of an obtuse metric in terms of training design. For me, I, I started this career sort of observing extraordinary performers and I have to go back to Neil Armstrong. I remember studying the Apollo program sort of deeply as part of trying to understand what it was about that era of humanity where this impossible challenge, this idea of going to the moon, which was just beyond comprehension and part of science fiction narrative and what it was like, what was that community like? And Neil obviously epitomizes the everything about that program, but I think his ability to remain 
as humble and his humility in that space really wasn't uh, an inspiration to me and I think being the first person to walk on the moon and then taking that as yeah just another day at work kind of thing and thanking the community that helped him get there really disrupted the world obviously but his the way he did it to me was inspirational.